1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. I just realized that the first letter of every line of this review <laughs> spells help me. <laughs> it seems like everyone's a critic these days, blessing the world with our slightest opinions, all on our own mini-platform. I'm Scott Janovitz, And I'm Greg Conley. We're the hosts of Citizen Critic, a new podcast where
2: we critique the critics and review the reviews of your favorite movies, music, television, toasters, toiletries, and paint colors. Listen to Citizen Critic on the iHeartRadio app,
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
3: the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. And last time on Stuff Mom Never Told You, we talked all about anxiety. What a delightful romp it was through all of mine and Caroline's <laughs> mental neuroses. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to part two of that. Perfectionism. Yeah. Um. And we, this was so fascinating to learn about Caroline because friends, perfectionism is not what you think it is.
2: Yeah. Similar to how we busted some myths in our OCD episode where we were saying OCD is not just keeping a clean closet. Perfectionism is not just the desire to excel, to do really well, to have that clean closet. It is, it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, and it's very much linked
3: to issues like OCD, anxiety, depression, and other things that we're going to talk about. And there's also this underlying assumption that Women are perfectionists. Women are likelier to try to be perfect in all things. And we're trying to find whether that is actually the case or whether that stereotype is just completely misunderstanding what perfectionism really is. Mm -hmm. Because it's another one of those terms that's used very casually to refer to things that it is actually not
2: well yeah and it's used whereas anxiety is something like i have anxiety and i would like to overcome it whether that's generalized anxiety disorder or like panic disorder or whether it's just you're feeling anxious before a test perfectionism on the other hand is almost sometimes used as like a a humble brag oh yeah like, uh, well, I'm sorry, I've just got to bake all the cupcakes for the PTA meeting because I'm just a perfectionist. Or, it's like, All right, Janice, we know you have a lot of time and you, you just you want to do this and your cupcakes are so perfect. Or when Janice
3: is in a job interview yeah. and you get that horrible job interview question of,
2: you know, what's your biggest fault in life? Janice responds, well, I'm a perfectionist. Well, we hope not now that we know more about <laughs> yeah. what perfectionism actually is and that it has links to all sorts of terrible things. Yeah, and it's a really, really unhealthy
3: pattern because, I mean, if you think about it in pop culture, you have sort of the both ends of the spectrum where you have um Natalie Portman as Nina in Black Swan, mm-hmm. where it's, whoa, that is super scary. And then on the comedic end of the spectrum, you have someone like Monica Geller in Friends, although I don't know why I needed to give her a last name. Everyone knows her just as Monica on Friends. Well, it's- you're a perfectionist. Oh, well, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm terrified I'm going to fail if I don't mention Geller and everyone will hate me. Um, but, you know, she has all these quirks where she has to clean all the time and she's very intentional in her cooking.
2: Ha ha ha. And it's attitudes about characters like Monica Geller uh, that lead people to feel like perfectionism is totally socially acceptable. It's not a mental health condition that you might need help with or that could signal a deeper mental health condition like actual pathological anxiety or depression. Um, it's just you being like super driven, right? You're just a Tracy Flick. That's it. Exactly. So first, let's lay out
3: what we're actually talking about when we're talking about perfectionism, because like we've said, what it is not is just setting high standards for yourself, just wanting to excel, being organized, having some ambition in life.
2: Yeah. So what it really is, is this drive to be perfect. I can't put enough italics and bold and underline on the word perfect, or at least the drive to seem perfect to other people, because inside you feel like an impostor, like a failure, like this ugly person inside and out. That I need to do anything I can to portray myself as this shiny, perfect person. And as the amazing Brené Brown, who often writes for O Magazine, puts it, uh, perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought: If I look perfect, live perfectly, and do everything perfectly. I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame.
3: And another way that it was put that jumped out to me, Caroline, was that perfectionism, while it is so goal-driven, it doesn't focus on success. Mm -hmm. It only focuses on failure because you're ultimately driven by failure. Because why do you need to be perfect? Because you're terrified that you will fail.
2: Right, which is so much of the conversation when you get into imposter syndrome, which we've done an episode on, um, in terms of being driven by I'm such a fake, I'm so dumb and unaccomplished, and I need to work so hard to show that I can pull this off, basically. And some researchers distinguish, though, between what they
3: term normal or adaptive perfectionism and neurotic or maladaptive perfectionism. And they say that the adaptive type propels you forward. Maybe this is, you know, more of the synonym to being very goal oriented, whereas maladaptive creates that stress over failure. It's the stuff that Brene Brown is talking about.
2: Yeah. But today we're focusing in on the type that is disruptive to functioning, although, as we'll get into a little bit later, a lot of people would argue that there is no adaptive versus maladaptive, that perfectionism is purely maladaptive, that there's nothing adaptive about wanting to be perfect because there's no such thing as perfect.
3: And when you think about what perfect really means in this context, it has so many different layers. You have concerns about making mistakes. You have your own personal standards. You have doubt about your actions or abilities Organization, parental expectations, criticism, things that
2: people say rudely on social media. Well, I mean, those are the literal dimensions of this condition known as perfectionism. Once you get beyond just like the colloquial, like, oh, I spent all night on those cupcakes. I'm such a perfectionist. Once you get past that to the actual debilitating stuff, and you're reading studies about it, things like concerns over making mistakes are cited in terms of linking perfectionism to OCD, anxiety, and depression, and even suicidal tendencies. And so, yeah, like, I'm concerned about making mistakes. I don't want to, like, do something stupid when I'm driving or, like, put the wrong <laughs> word in the podcast notes. Oops,
3: I just drove my car into a wall.
2: <laughs> As happens. Um, th- this concern, this perfectionist, concern over mistakes is something that is debilitating, that it is, like Kristen said, that being driven by failure idea. And it
3: also manifests
2: in different
3: types, not that they're mutually exclusive. And this also was really illuminating for me to read about. Um, You have socially prescribed perfectionism, which is the belief that others will value you only if you're perfect. And psychologist Gordon Flett says that these people feel, quote, the better I do, the better I'm expected to do.
2: So rather than like you bring the great cupcakes and everybody congratulates you, it's like, oh, God, well, now I've got to make like a six tiered PTA cake for the next meeting. And this is a little bit of a
3: side note, but this also reminds me of what we were talking about a little bit in our anxiety episode of how um, one researcher named Jean Twenge cites. Our shift from intrinsic values to extrinsic values as a reason why anxiety might be more on the rise. And that whole socially prescribed perfectionism seems very much linked to extrinsic values of how do I look to other people.
2: Right. How do I present myself? Absolutely. Well, another type is the self-oriented perfectionism. And this is the internally motivated desire to be perfect. And there is a debate, as Flett talks about, the psychologist uh, Gordon Flett talks about, over whether this Is a risk factor for other psychological disorders or a disorder in and of itself? And that seems to be the big conversation around perfectionism in general. Is it a disorder? Yes, it's debilitating. But is it debilitating and does it exist because you have something like generalized anxiety disorder or depression? And there's also other-oriented perfectionism, which a very close friend of mine struggles with a lot. It's the tendency to demand perfection from friends, family, coworkers, and others. These are the people, and I say this because I repeat this mantra to myself all the time, these are the people who need to be saying, not my monkey, not my circus. Like, don't be so concerned about what other people are doing or saying or wearing or whatever. Be more concerned with yourself. And as you can imagine, this can be super damaging to relationships. And when I said that I have a close friend with this, I literally wasn't talking about myself. I I do have a friend who struggles mightily with this, is in therapy and talks about it a lot. And it really has affected her relationships with other people. Because, yeah, if you are super driven and you expect a lot from yourself, that can be so damaging. You need to learn to practice self-compassion and self-forgiveness. But when it's directed outward at other people... Well, that just means that nobody's gonna want to invite you to their party. <laughs> and then
3: what will you do on a Friday night? <laughs> and then
2: what are you gonna do with all those cupcakes, Janice? Janice, lighten up.
3: Janice is gonna stay in and eat them while watching The Gilmore Girls on Netflix.
2: But let's let's stop talking about Janice. I'm starting to feel bad. Let's, Aww. let's talk about me instead. <laughs> okay. Uh, we should probably start talking about some of the hallmarks of perfectionism because we've told you what it's not and what it is, but we need to illustrate it with deeply, deeply personal stories because perfectionism, the hallmarks are really that fear of failure, that fear of vulnerability because no true perfectionist wants to be openly vulnerable or fail openly because that would totally shatter their fragile sense of perfection that they're trying to convey to the rest of the world.
3: Yeah. I mean, I've I've personally struggled with those two things big time in my life. The whole uh, fear of failure. Um, You've mentioned that this is reminiscent for you of really being a... Grade A plus driven yeah. when you were in school, and it reminds me of when I was homeschooled as a kid. I hated it if my mom graded my paper because she was my teacher and my principal. <laughs> um, I hated if she hated it if she graded my tests or papers with a red pen oh. because it was like pointing out my failures even bigger and bolder. And I would freak out about it. It makes it so easy to see on the page, though. Yeah, I read red pen as you are dumb.
2: Oh, well, that's become sort of an issue in schools nowadays, right? Like, I've heard about teachers who have to stop using red pens because it hurts kids' feelings.
3: Yeah. See, thankfully, my mom was smart about it. And she was like, uh, Kristen, we need to have a talk because uh-huh. I don't. Mm, this doesn't seem like a healthy <laughs> pattern. You need to accept a red pen. Because <laughs> if you can't accept a red pen, then life's going to be a little bit tough. Although I think right that thing. she started using like purple and orange. She would switch up the color, I think sometimes just uh-huh. to like, I don't
2: know. So it didn't look Anyways. like the page was bleeding? Yeah, the page was having a period. <laughs> <laughs> Menstruating pages. Um Yeah, I also am super guilty of like skipping out on what could potentially be a fun, enriching or rewarding experience <laughs> because I'm worried about failing or looking stupid or being vulnerable or being mediocre. Um, and similarly, I am super guilty of one of the giant hallmarks of perfectionism, which is procrastination. And again, that's not a humble brag. It really drives me insane about myself that I'm a huge procrastinator, because if it, this is especially true, if it's like a creative endeavor, whether it's in work or outside of work, because the thing is, when you're just like. Uh, you know, if I'm just editing an article for the House Stuff Works website, like it's hard for me to fail at that. I'm an editor. I'm good with words. Like how I do is very quantifiable. It's easy to quantify. Um, when it is something that's more creative that requires me to use um, a different skill set than something that's just very cut and dry, all of a sudden, well, I I could be vulnerable. Someone could judge me for this and tell me that I'm stupid. <laughs> And so that leads to this tendency to like either put it off or just assume I'm going to do terribly. So I just won't try it. There's also the whole thing about being plagued by what ifs and shoulds that is so paralyzing. And that leads to this like regimentedness of, of the shoulds like this should happen. And my therapist is always going, why should it? why do you have a should there? Well, I
3: don't know, therapist. I'm just a perfectionist. <laughs> and then you realized your therapist is Janice. <laughs> no. But quickly going back to the procrastination thing, mm-hmm. that was something I did not expect to read about at all, because we would assume that perfectionists have no problem with procrastination because they're getting their work done. They're going over and above all the time. But it makes so much sense that they are very much linked. And I totally experience that. If there's like some big creative project that I want to do, my perfectionism will cause me to procrastinate because it's like, well, what, but what if I can't make this wonderful idea come to fruition?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you're so worried about getting judged and failing, and that can breed a lot of judgmental stuff about other people and other things. I mean, uh, dude, roommate, Hi, you don't listen to this episode or this podcast. I mean, so it's okay if I talk about you. You know, dude roommate was super judgmental and I really think it stemmed from a place in him of being so hard on himself, so critical of himself that when you're just trying to take that pressure off, you can tend to focus it outward. So where does it come
3: from then? Can I, can we just blame our parents? Yeah. For raising us to be perfectionistic. I actually don't blame my parents. For that, My parents were all, always like really encouraging and empowering of like, if you can read, you can do anything. Um, and I don't feel like it came from them. I felt like it was very much like internally driven in me, but parents can absolutely pass it on to their kids. And not
2: surprisingly, this is something that researchers have looked into well yeah and in terms of the passing it down to your kids i mean this can be like you are janice and you're super like cupcake perfection driven and your kids pick up on that and it's like oh well i need to i need to perform too but it can be like the research that we were reading it can be as small and as simple as a cocked eyebrow when you bring home a b instead of an a And that's not to say that your parents are terrible people. If that happened to you, that could seriously be just like, I just want to encourage you to do better and live your best life as Oprah, if Oprah's your mom, (laughs) would have you do. Um, But to a child who's already absorbing everything around herself, like that can be really damaging. Like, oh, my God, I earned the eyebrow. What did I do?
3: Right. Because kids, when we're kids we take these small things and we don't have that many tools in our brains and our experiences to put context and nuance to that cocked eyebrow. So we then associate, oh, the B with a cocked eyebrow. That correlation becomes a causation Mm -hmm. and a pattern ensues.
2: Yeah. And so it's no surprise then that perfectionistic tendencies often start in childhood. Whether it is because of the expectations of your parents or your teachers, parental criticism and even the perception by kids that their parents and teachers have high expectations for them to be perfect is enough to send someone on a perfectionistic spiral. And I was talking to Kristen about this when we were researching because I was like, well, you know, I have a tendency to blame my parents for this. But my parents were very, um, in psychology terms, um, indulgent, permissive. They expected a lot of me. They expected me to do very well, but they were also like super encouraging. Do your best. Be who you are. Reach for the stars. All that good stuff. But I went to a very, very strict, very challenging private school growing up all through school. And you do have those super high expectations from teachers to the point where, like, getting the lower grade, the slightly lower grade even, is enough to be like, I've let everyone down, I am so dumb. And so parenting styles, I mean, we're talking about teachers, but parenting styles are obviously so important. And this is coming from a paper by David Hibbert and Gail Walton from 2014. They found that when you combine demands and lack of warmth With expectations that helps create and foster perfectionism and that idea of things interacting to create perfectionism or perfectionism interacting with something else to create things like anxiety and depression. That's also a huge key to this topic because it's often not occurring on its own. Well, so Hibbert and Walton were saying that the parents who might have, like my parents, high demands on their kids to do well in school, but who also have high warmth, foster that adaptive version of perfectionism that possibly they create self-motivation in their kids, which is great. But it's those parents who have high demands on their kids, but no warmth, who might be the problem causers, because they say this whole high demand, lack of warmth thing signals to your kid that they might not be loved if they screw up. And this, they argue, is what tends to foster that maladaptive perfectionism, the kind that can disrupt your life. Well, and it can also backfire because these kids might
3: not even try to take on challenges. They might just be more anxious or overwhelmed by them instead. And that link was found to be more pronounced in boys, which is notable. Um, and then finally, you have neglectful parents that also foster that maladaptive perfectionism because it's the whole thing of, well, maybe if I can just really overachieve, I'll win some attention or love or control my environment in some kind of way. But when we're talking about adaptive versus maladaptive, as you mentioned earlier, Caroline, some argue that there is no adaptive about this, that this kind of, of cycle is not motivating us to actually do better. And this is something that Dr. Flett is adamant about. And he was uh, quoted in an article in the American Psychological Association's Monitor magazine. And he said, I don't think needing to be perfect is in any way adaptive People make that claim and they'll just ignore the fairly large literature that says it's a vulnerability factor for unipolar depression, anorexia and suicide. And I was like, whoa, Dr. Flett, what's going on here? And that's the thing. Perfectionism is very closely intertwined with other mental health issues. Because researchers have found links to anxiety, depression, suicidal tendency, OCD, and eating disorders. Oh, suddenly
2: perfectionism ain't so perfect. It ain't so perfect. And we'll talk more about Janice and her cupcakes when we come right back from a quick break.
0: Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh, my God. We've all been there. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone.
0: The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. So Kristen
2: has mentioned a lot of links between perfectionism and several mental health conditions. For instance... Socially prescribed perfectionism, that's the kind where you're so worried about what other people think of you, you want to look perfect to other people, um, has been associated with depression and other problems, including, like Kristen said, suicide. And Dr. Flett said, I think the reason for that is that socially prescribed perfectionism has an element of pressure combined with a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. Because if you're a perfectionist, by definition... You never feel perfect. You never feel like you get there, like you accomplish what you set out to accomplish, like you always need to be working at it, making it better, whatever it is, whether it's yourself, your appearance or your job or your relationships. And also those attitudes that are wrapped up in perfectionism of guilt, shame and the whole never enough thing can lead to Depression. Research has also shown that perfectionism is a big mediator between the comorbid conditions of bipolar spectrum disorders and anxiety and depressive symptoms. So basically, these folks already tend to view the world from a more negative perspective. And Kristen, you know how we mentioned those dimensions of perfectionism earlier in the podcast? Oh, the yes, I like, do. <laughs> the things like concern over mistakes and abilities, things like that. What's interesting about perfectionism is that all of those concerns and worries and frets that define what perfectionism is aren't consistent across people, which makes sense. Everybody's different. But they're also not consistent across people who have the comorbid things like anxiety or depression or OCD. So this study, for instance, in behavior research and therapy from June 2008, found that the dimension of concern over mistakes was elevated in each of their patient groups that they studied. They looked at depression, anxiety disorders and eating disorders while pure personal standards. So like, I've got to be perfect. Everything has to be perfect, uh, was elevated only in the eating disorder sample. The dimension of doubts about actions. So like, can I actually accomplish this? Maybe these people are procrastinators like I, I don't know if I can actually do this as perfectly as I need to. That was found to be elevated in both patients with OCD and eating disorders, but not in the depressed patients. And so it's interesting, you know, I mentioned that the whole concern over mistakes dimension was elevated in all three patient groups. Their analysis indicated that concern over mistakes accounted for most of the variance in the relationship of perfectionism to these forms of psychopathology. So it's really this concern over messing up, basically, that your average person, sure, you have that. Like, if I'm going to give a speech, I don't want to screw it up. But your average person is going to deal with the anxiety, cope with the anxiety, not feel like their entire life will come crashing down around them. People, though, who have depression, anxiety, and struggle with eating disorders, all of this is likely to be so much worse to the point of pathology. And if we take a look, for
3: instance, at the anxiety piece, those high standards might actually be holding you back by breeding the fear of failure and making mistakes. And a piece in New York Magazine about this noted how perfectionism very much reflects what they called an inner self mired in anxiety. And it quoted psychologist Thomas Greenspan who described perfectionistic people as believing that they can never be good enough, that their mistakes reflect personal flaws, and that the only route to acceptability as a person, the only way to prove their worthiness, is through perfection. And guess what, folks? That's impossible to do. And how mired are we talking? A 2014 study looking at people with elevated perfectionism and generalized anxiety disorder found the specific perfectionism dimension concern over mistakes. We've heard that before. Personal standards and doubts with, about actions were significantly correlated with clinical worry. So to put that in lay terms, clinical perfectionism is very much linked and predictive of pathological worry. So
2: yeah, you're basically you're going to be sitting there just like heavy breathing, fretting all the time. And this feeds into OCD tendencies as well. And I'm talking
3: like actual OCD tendencies, not color coding your bookshelf. Although that does make for a very visually pleasing display.
2: It sure does. I also like apartmenttherapy.com. And of course, we've mentioned anxiety disorders. Perfectionism has been found to be elevated in people with anorexia, bulimia, and eating disorders not otherwise specified compared to control groups. And I mean, just... Anecdotally, common sense-wise, this makes a lot of sense because people with eating disorders are often found to be attempting to exert control over something. And that something is calorie counting, it's body shape, it's weight. And there's evidence that researchers have found that treating perfectionism also helps alleviate anxiety and disordered eating. And part of that is the idea of perfectionism being this, quote, transdiagnostic process, essentially meaning that there are a lot of overlapping dimensions that exist in eating disorders. So it's important to look at the whole behavioral and psychological picture. So perfectionism doesn't exist in a vacuum. Eating disorders don't exist in a vacuum. These things Bring in elements of a whole lot of mental health issues.
3: Yeah, and, and the hallmarks of perfectionism are really clear when you look at eating disordered behavior like shape or weight over evaluation, goal setting, that all or none thinking um, that typically goes into things like anorexia and bulimia. And then if we look though at suicide attempts, I mean, this is not to say that these other mental health issues are not, do not severely diminish our quality of life but suicide is also so tragically linked to perfectionism as well and this was something that that new york magazine article really focused on because it was uh, citing some research including a 2009 report which found a very close relationship between perfectionism and suicide attempts or completed suicide um, for instance, it found uh, this 2007 study found that more than half of family members of people who'd killed themselves described their loved one unprompted as a perfectionist. It also found a British study which found 11 of 20 students who'd killed themselves were described as being afraid of failure. And then finally, a 2013 Archives of Suicide Research study found 70 percent of this group of 33 boys who'd killed themselves were described by their parents as placing, quote, exceedingly high demands and expectations on
2: themselves. Yeah, and that New York Magazine article uh, quoted this woman whose uh, husband had died from suicide as saying he was very deliberate. He was a perfectionist. I've been learning that perfectionism plus depression is a loaded gun. And that's so tragic to think of, especially when you think of how perfectionism is so rewarded in our culture it's such like a like a protestant work ethic thing of like you're gonna stay up all night and you're gonna work on that project for work or you're going to you know perfect your appearance until you're unhealthy you're you gonna know? make those cupcakes janice janice is gonna make those cupcakes be pinterest perfect and so it does it, it gives that like it really drives home the dangerous and tragic aspect of perfectionism that it's not just color coding your bookcase or your folders or whatever that it is something that absolutely interferes with living your life. And you know we've we've touched a couple of times on the idea that perfectionism in and of itself might not be a disorder, but it might be the interaction of a lot of things that's causing Distress, for instance, there were some British psychologists that found that it was the interaction between perfectionism and avoidance coping, which is dealing with problems by not dealing with problems, uh, that predicted college students' hopelessness and psychological distress. Not the perfectionism by itself or the avoidance coping
0: by itself. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh, my God. We've all been there.
2: No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with
1: GEICO. It's almost better than sports.
2: Meanwhile, uh, there was another study in the Journal of Counseling Psychology that found that perfectionists who had positive coping mechanisms weren't any more depressed than the average person, which sort of goes against... Some of the stuff we've been saying, but they say that this supports the idea that perfectionism interacts with other mental health traits as well as life events to produce that psychopathology. So what
3: does that have to do then with women and girls? Is that psychopathology more prevalent among us ladies, among the Januses of the world, if you will, um, because... It comes up just colloquially in a lot of the ways that we talk about women and especially ambitious women of, oh, she's just a perfectionist. Girls always want to be perfect. Oh, the reason why women aren't leaning in and getting ahead is because we try to be perfect before we ask for raises or promotions or go for new jobs. And all those things are true statistically. Yes. But is that perfectionism at work? Because that perfect word, the P word came up a lot in research that we've done on the imposter syndrome. Um, for instance, Katty Kay and Claire Shipman have written a whole book about this. I think they call it the confidence gap. And in the excerpt of that, which was published in the Atlantic magazine in 2014, they talk about how women feel confident only when they're perfect or practically perfect. And they go on to say that striving to be perfect actually keeps us from getting much of anything done
2: and they say it as such a given yeah well i think they actually say in that excerpt that oh well you know we all know that women are more likely to be perfectionists and to strive per- for perfection and it's and it's not that it's not true it's obviously true women some women are perfectionists and some perfectionists are women but i could not find definitive studies that said yes more women are perfectionists more often than men are. There's a lot of stuff out there that we see in other mental health discussions in terms of it manifesting differently in men and women. Men are more likely to kill themselves or to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. Women are more likely to go the anxiety and uh, eating disorder route. Um, but yeah, I, I, I understand the, concept of like, oh, more women clearly want to be perfect, especially when you take it in terms of the imposter syndrome conversation, because uh, Shipman and Kay argue that girls get a lot of praise for being perfect, which breeds approval seeking and their confidence takes a hit when they enter the real world that doesn't reward them for their perfect spelling and their perfect manners and the perfect lacy socks and their Mary Jane shoes. But I don't think that that's an issue of actual perfectionism so much
3: as girls trying to out achieve institutional sexism.
2: Yeah, and and certainly those ideas are related. The idea of I have to work so much harder to prove myself. Yes, the perfectionist is driven by the fear or even the internal knowledge of failure. Um, And that's kind of the same thing for imposter syndrome of I feel like a fake. I have to work so much harder to prove myself. But they're not one in the same. Imposter syndrome is not necessarily... Nobody's having a debate over whether imposter syndrome is in and of itself a mental health disorder. Right. And not surprisingly, one uh, group of people that's been looked at and studied in terms of perfectionism is athletes. There was a 2002 study in psychology of sport and exercise that found a strong link between here we have that idea again, negative perfectionism and social social physique anxiety for both men and women, uh, they found that there's a small link between positive perfection and disordered eating in men. However, when it comes to women, that negative perfectionism and the social physique anxiety interacted to lead to disordered eating. So like how many times have I said interacted in this episode? It tends to be all of these different things combining to drive pathology. Well, so, you know, like I said, I, I couldn't find many definitive studies or books or papers saying that yes, women experience perfectionism more than men do. But I did find some interesting, <laughs> some interesting research that's been done on women and sex. And this is coming from the book by Cindy Meston and David Buss called Why Women Have Sex. And they talk about a survey that Meston did that found that individual differences in perfectionism were related to relationship fidelity and sexual variety seeking, which is fascinating and scary if you're dating a perfectionist. Yeah, in a
3: nutshell, they found that women who were high in perfectionism essentially took that perfectionism into the bedroom. They set unrealistically high standards for themselves and others, and they also had sex with more people compared to women, low in perfectionism. And they were more likely to have been unfaithful in a sexual relationship. So perfectionists are likelier to be cheaters. Interesting. And Buss and Messon think that the reason why is because they appear to hold these unrealistic demands, not just from the people themselves, but from their sexual prowess and performance, which causes them to be continually disappointed in the bedroom. And so they look elsewhere,
2: whether that means stepping outside the bounds of a monogamous relationship or not. So it seems like these people in this study might be pretty likely to... Quickly flee a relationship rather than working through problems, rather than being like, hey, relationships take work. Like, I've been guilty. I have never cheated. I'm going on record. Um, but the, I have been guilty of in the past dating people and being like, you know what? It's not, it's not perfect anymore. But was this more about relationships or was it just about sex? Well, this particular thing was just about sex. So can we
3: extrapolate that sex to how they would function in a relationship because the two are distinct? They are distinct, you're so right. I'm playing the sexual devil's advocate. I don't know if I what I'm advocating for, <laughs> but I just think that I think sometimes that conflating the two leads us. Yeah, that complicates things. Yeah. Sex always complicates oh, things. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and it makes you a woman. <laughs> we but what do we do about this? How do we treat perfectionism? How do we cope with it? Because obviously there is that psychopathology. These are some of us are wired in this perfectionistic kind of way. And <laughs> for people who don't deal with this, uh PS Telling your perfectionist friend or loved one to just relax ain't going to do it. Instead, it's really focusing in on the need to accept yourself and be cared for and take care of that perfectionistic drive. Find the root of it, essentially.
2: Well, yeah, because it is those super high drives to be accepted that drives perfectionism so if you go to a therapist and you're like why do I need to feel accepted and loved by everyone around me that'll get to the root of like you don't have to be perfect people are going to love you for being the imperfect person that you are and people are going to dislike you yeah oh yeah well, that was, that that's a that's a
3: great thing to acknowledge and totally embrace yeah. not everyone's going to like you not everyone's going to think you're funny or pretty or cute or worth listening to if you host a podcast <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't understand. Why not? Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's practicing compassion for yourself, which is so hard considering that you guys out there who are perfectionists, you have such high demands on everyone, including yourself. And as my therapist says, forgiveness is our most healing power. And that includes for yourself, not just for the person who cut you off in traffic. And so a good way to cope if you have perfectionism or perfectionistic tendencies is to aim your focus at other people, to volunteer, to get the focus off yourself and go help others. And it's also helpful to develop some ways to counter all of those what-ifs and shoulds. So one source we were reading said that it's great if you name your fear, name your what if. So like what if okay, let's say Kristen and I are giving a speech. Like what if I fail at this speech? Well then well, play, then we'll die immediately. What will happen? And it will be written on our tombstone, Clearly, so we failed the speech. The room will explode. But then keep asking yourself, well, then what? So if I fail at the speech, um I'm probably going to be embarrassed, and somebody might write something bad in the college paper about me. Well, then what? Well, it'll just blow over, and then I'll go home, and I'll eat a well, sandwich. Well, then what? Print is dead. So. Print is dead, so no one will read it, so it's fine. And there's also the idea of, and this kind of ties into cognitive behavioral therapy, which is also recommended for perfectionists, but redirecting your what ifs. So instead of being like, what if I really F this up? Start asking, what if I succeed? What if I win? What if I S this up? (laughs) You know, what does S stand for? Succeed. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't understand how the S word works in this situation, Kristen. (laughs) But also the idea of telling yourself that good enough is good enough because no perfection be- perfectionist believes that. And I struggle with that mightily. I don't even believe it's sitting here. But if you keep repeating it to yourself as a mantra that good enough is good enough because no one is perfect and literally perfection doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Setting realistic expectations is also
3: crucial. I have a challenge with this where I see what I want and... I don't break it down into the tiny steps because you have to eat the old elephant one step at a time, one bite at a time, not one step at a time. I'm talking about eating an elephant, not walking over it. <laughs> you have to climb over the elephant one step at a time.
2: <laughs> Both of these
3: are ways to deal with procrastination. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, first you have the real ex- realistic expectation setting. Yeah. And then by doing that, it will help with that issue of procrastination that I also personally deal with because I mean when everything just looks so huge, of course you're not going to want to do it. And these are also patterns that if you have kids that you can model to them because ha huh, gosh I tell you I don't even have kids but my terror is just essing them up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's for screwing, not succeeding.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's important to to help kids understand that reaching their potential and succeeding doesn't mean reaching perfection, that those two things aren't the same. And that inner achievement, thinking skills, creativity, imagination, risk taking, that these are all so valuable, that they're even more valuable than getting straight A's although I'm sure there are people out there who would disagree with me and so there are therapists out there who encourage parents and, and aunts and uncles whoever you are um, to share the stories of your own screw-ups with kids how you, whether you overcame them or not to show kids like, Hey, I'm still alive and successful and can and can human you can human too if you mess up. And you know, this actually made me think about uh, this woman that I'm in a fitness class with, who was just telling me about how her son came home crying, because his homework was to color. And he was so nervous about coloring outside the lines that he literally couldn't do it. Wow. He cried and just would not do it, even though she's like, your Daddy and I love your pictures. We want you to color outside the lines. You just do your best, and that's all you can do. But he was so petrified uh, because at school they do great. Apparently in uh, whatever preschool or kindergarten class he is, they do get their gold stars for coloring within the lines, even though Mommy and Daddy love it when he colors outside the lines and does whatever he wants. And so... Sounds like someone needs to have a talk with a teacher. She was telling me this and I'm like, oh, this sounds like, well, first it sounds like me. But then it sounds like perfectionism is starting to take root. And so anything you can do to encourage yourself or your kids to really just be creative and take those risks, I think that's super mentally healthy. And perhaps another mentally
3: healthy thing that you can do is share your stories with us, with some podcasters. I mean, we're curious to hear... From listeners, if this resonates with you or with someone you know or love, uh, MomStuffAtHowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now.
2: Well, I have a letter here from Leaf in uh, response to our significant other episode. Leaf writes, I especially enjoyed the little segment on gender neutral terms. As a non-binary transgender person with a long-term cisgender girlfriend, this is an issue that has permeated both my personal relationship with her and also the way that we as a couple are seen to those around us. To most people, we look like a fairly average lesbian couple. Even if someone were to know that one of us is transgender, the guess would more like more than likely be my girlfriend, who's much more androgynously presenting than myself. To offset that, my girlfriend has taken to calling me her partner, although that term in itself has caused just as much confusion as anything else. You were absolutely right when you mentioned that using partner either signifies a man's coworker or a sneaky lesbian term of endearment. Can we have that movie, sneaky lesbian terms of endearment? Yes. Anyway, back to the letter. Leaf continues. Whenever my girlfriend refers to me as her partner, whoever she's speaking to is always quick to correct her and to get her to say I'm her girlfriend. We have yet to find a way around this problem, as even more gender gender neutral terms tend to sound childish in an adult setting. And even if they didn't, the common person probably would not be able to instantly cue in on the meaning. It's just one of the many problems non-binary trans people have in social situations that's yet to be figured out. Well, so thanks for writing to us about it, Leif. I've got a letter
3: here from Kaylee about our Native American princess episode from a while back, and she writes, I was listening to your Native American princess stereotyping episode and the commentary on how these harmful stereotypes often harm young children's perspectives of their native culture. My siblings and I are biracial, our father's family belongs to the Ojibwa Boys Fort Band in northern Minnesota, and my mother is a strong Polish woman. Anyway, when my parents were out, a family friend had us watch Peter Pan for the first time, and while little kids have a hard time understanding the totally racially charged lyrics of the song, What Makes a Red Man Red, my younger brother was terrified. He refused to go to bed, and when my parents came home, my five-year-old brother seriously confessed to my parents that he did not want to be Native American anymore because in Peter Pan they were scary and tried to kill everyone. My parents were mortified to say the least and that night we all had a good talking to about American history, racism, and how stereotypes of Native American people have suffered. So after this very long, very emotional conversation my parents had with us, they asked my other younger brother what he thought now, and he replied, now we must kill the white man. (laughs) Equally horrified parental shrieks followed with, no, you're white too. Wow, cute. It's always been a sad story for us kids because it's the first time we became aware of the racism and struggle with identity that many native and biracial people feel. These scenes have not only affected my siblings' perspective on our culture, but also the children around us. In high school and middle school, when our very white school found out that us kids were native, bullying and chants of Ollie Ollie gum gum followed me for a while, and people called my younger sister Tiger Lily and brother Running Bear behind their backs, and it was far more common than I obviously would have liked. For a while, it felt like being Native was humiliating, and the fact that my family's tormentors use Disney references to do it makes me sick to my stomach. So that's why I hate Peter Pan. So thanks for your letter, Kaylee. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with this one including our sources so you can learn more about perfectionism, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.